Hey, it's Andrea. Today, Kalar came to play and she doesn't care who knows it. Worf takes matters into Kalar's bloody hands and we ask the question, have you found your Klingon soulmate yet? Stay tuned. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we're talking Season 2, Episode 20, already Episode 20, entitled The Emissary. This episode was written by Thomas H. Calder and directed by Cliff Bull, um, and this one came out in June of 89. Sharice, we have someone kind of special hanging out with us today, uh, a super fan who, Cassandra, I gave you a shout out in our last week's episode because it was all about Waxana Troy, and you have changed my mind about her just a little teeny bit. So, Sharice, do you want to introduce our guest and talk her up and talk her in? Yeah, absolutely. Today we have a very special guest, Cassandra. How do you pronounce your last name? I never asked. Actually, my last name is Moore. So, ah, well, that's different from your last name that I see right now on Zoom. Um, so that's a, easy to a, say. There's a story. My last name is Moore. Um, once upon a time, I was married, as some of us were, and um, but I keep my my former name is a professional name. Ah, ah, okay. That makes sense. Well, welcome to the stage, Cassandra Moore. She is a Star Trek super fan. Um, and as Andrea said, she has really changed our mind about LaWaxana Troy, which after 30 years of prejudice against her is not easy to do. So I'm super excited to have her here and hear her thoughts. This is one of her favorite episodes and it's a fun one. So welcome to the show, Cassandra. Thank you guys for having me. I'm like so excited about this and I'm so excited that um, you're doing this podcast on one of my favorite genres in one of my favorite yes. series. So series, much. Yes. Yes. Series of all time. I grew up with a bunch of uncles and as a kid, if I wanted to watch TV, I was either going to watch Star Trek Westerns or like karate movies. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm like totally down for like you're here anything. for this. I'm here for this. This is like my moment. This is like what I've been bred for. <laughs> wow, that's holding so, us in really okay. Well, the pressure is now on Cherise. <laughs> oh, we're used to it. We were we were born for this pressure. Um, Cassandra, we like to ask our special special guests this question. Who is your favorite TNG character? If I have to pick one character from from Star Trek The Next Generation. It's, it's going to be Jean-Luc Picard. He is kind of, he's definitely my captain. He's mm -hmm. the captain. He's the captain of Gen X for Gen X. He's our person. And so, you know, like when I grew up watching Star Trek with my uncles, it was like their Star Trek, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. But this became like my Star Trek with Jean-Luc yes. Picard. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. I don't know a single person who doesn't love Captain Picard. I mean, who only monsters really? I mean, yes. I feel like that must be the litmus test for like, if you're a psychopath, like if you, mm -hmm. if you don't love Jean-Luc Picard as a captain, you might be a psychopath. I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Okay. Well, I just got a new, I just got a new question to ask on my first dates. So thanks for that. Um, Andrea. That is a, that's a really great first date question. And I, I would like to remind you both or if you don't know that actually Ben Cisco does not like Jean-Luc Picard. 
But he has a good reason, though. Look, he does. His wife, but like, that was not Jean Luc. Okay, but it looked like Jean Luc with some implants. So I mean, he had a good reason. Okay. I mean, it took me like a whole year to get over that whole thing that someone <laughs> in the universe couldn't stand Jean Luc Picard, and I'm like, do you know what this man has been through? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's skipping ahead just a teeny bit, but yes, I totally get it. Let me just jump right into the synopsis of this episode, and then we'll go into initial thoughts and all sorts of good stuff. A ship full of Klingons is being released from cryogenic freeze, believing that the Empire is still at war with the Federation. Only the Enterprise is within intercept range, which will be in position to attack a system of Federation colonies if it is not stopped. A Klingon ambassador, Kalar, half-human, half-Klingon, full-badass, former lover of Worf, is shuttled aboard the ship to assist in the peaceful awakening of the Klingons in hopes of persuading the ship to return home without incident. This is such an episode. There's so much going on. And also, nothing happens, too. (laughs) So that's kind of my initial thought. Um, Cassandra, as our guest, what is your initial thought on this episode? This is the episode that... I think that I fell in love with Worf. Ooh, why? Okay. And because we got to see more than this kind of caricature that they were putting mm. in, the, the, you know, that they were putting in front of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were getting more of his story than just like these one-liners, you know, yes. that he had become known for. And I also have to say, like, the end of that episode, like, those final words that came out of his mouth, I was, like, sprung. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) I, I, full disclosure, Klingons are the regular aliens that we see you know we see lots of different aliens but we often see like one alien race for like one episode and then we never see them again so we have a couple like regulars the klingons are the ones that i am the least interested in it ju- they just seem like very clannish very warring very honor it seems very like rote but s- saying that having said that i literally teared up yesterday at the end watching this episode because of the words that they spoke at the very end, which we'll get into when we get there. But I was like, oh my God, you know, they were definitely like little Star Trek nerd tears from me where I was I, like, he's a person. He's a real I person also, feelings. I someday would like to have the opportunity to change your mind about the Klingons as well. Okay, bring it on. Um, we bring it we've on. Got a, it. We've got a lot of time to work on that issue because we are barely... <laughs> At the end of season two. So we've, we've got some time to work on that, on the Klingon agenda, the angle. Um, Charisse, yeah, what, I, what were your initial thoughts? Um, I also liked it. I do like episodes where we get backstory on the characters because mm-hmm. they are, they do seem kind of like, and we've talked about this before. It's kind of like your teacher at school. When you're a kid, you think your teacher lives at school and then you see them in the post office and you're like, what, who let you out? Right. And it's so weird and confusing, but also kind of exciting because you're like, wow, they do other things besides school. You know, they go grocery shopping or mail letters or have families. It's always so like it opens your mind. And so I really like those kinds of episodes where it kind of peels back the curtain and shows that all these officers who are so put together and experts in their field also have lives and they have pasts. They have things that they've done before they came on this ship. 
And in theory, things they'll do after they leave the ship, but they never mm-hmm. really leave the ship. Um, so I, I liked that. I liked seeing the background and just kind of, uh, I don't know, it was fun watching Worf pout and watching Kalar just be so sassy and just like, just so kind of like, um, just unapologetically sexy and unapologetically opinionated, which I can mm-hmm. relate to quite a bit. Yep. In fact, one of, one of our previous guests, um, shout out to Chris French. We've been friends for since I was in high school. <laughs> and I remember when I was in high school, he said, uh, Hey, Sharice, what's your opinion on this? Cause I know you have one. I don't even know what we were talking about, <laughs> but I was like 16 and I never forgot him saying that because that's just always been true of me. I'm now 37, still true. So I just really related to Kalar. Like she's got opinions. <laughs> you know, she has them. <laughs> she has opinions. She's not afraid to share them. She is fierce. And also I think I counted a total, was it three or four outfits? I have committed yes. them to memory. Yes, yes. The girl came, I, first of all, she came with no luggage and yet all these fabulous outfits. I don't understand that. I'm like, where did you get these? She's, she's rocking that replicator in a way that no one else knows how to do. Apparently. Apparently. She she knows how to finesse. Yes. So here's a little bit of trivia about the character of Kalar before we jump into like the teardown of the episode. So Kalar was played by Susie Plaxon, very, very talented actress. Um, she was in the Schizoid Man episode as the Vulcan Dr. Selar. And Tracy Torme wrote that episode and he had wanted to develop a romance between Dr. Selar and Lieutenant Worf. Um, but the writers nixed that idea because they were already planning this episode and they were like, yeah, we want like a Klingon woman from like Worf's past to like come in. Um, but Susie Plaxon had like made such an impression, um, that they immediately were like, we want her to play that role. Um, Tracy Torme was a little miffed about that. He thought that a Klingon Klingon romance is kind of like obvious and he thought that like a Vulcan Klingon romance would be so much more interesting which Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with I feel like that would have been so weird to see this like very logical and also like this very logical Vulcan and this very Mm -hmm. like running on instinct instinctual like warrior passionate yeah yeah like try to make that work I feel like that I would have I would have tuned in to see that although I did love Kalar as a character as well so but that's my little um that's my little trivia. And shout out to Susie Plaxon because she fucking rocked. Oh my gosh, she's so role. good in this role. Oh, she was so good in the good. other role too, though. She was good yeah. as that Vulcan woman as well. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because in um Star Trek Voyager, which you guys know I I also love if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, they do try that. There, there is a half Klingon, half human character, and there's mm-hmm. a Vulcan character, and the Vulcan goes into heat, for lack of a better word. And he tries to, and and so he actually infects the Klingon character, causing her to go into heat at the same time. And so he's trying to convince her of why they would be a good couple. And it's it's just, it's one of my favorite episodes. And you just see them kind of like, you know, he's using all of his logic, even though he's like totally, you know, horny out of his mind, but he's using all of his logic. And he's like, this is why we belong together. There are a limited number of males. You are running out of options. You know, like I can calm your, your passionate side with my logic, like all of this stuff. And she's just like, get away from me. You pipsqueak. It's great. I also love the fact that he was kind of like, no one else is going to be able to handle your physicality except for me yes, on this yes. show. <laughs> yes. And like, he was like, so he was so 
he was so confident with that. I was like, girl, give it a try. (laughs) That was the point where she broke his nose when he said that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm the only one who can handle you. (laughs) I will say that I disagree. I actually don't think, I think that they were, I am grateful that it was a Klingon and, and, you know, Klingon uh, romance. Um, Because in my opinion, on this what does this remind you of for me it was it was 100 about interracial living it was about definitely about inter, you know interracial living and it's it's kind of like when we think about that time and we think about the 90s you know and kind of like the mood of of acceptance and and, and togetherness and we were seeing you know, you know, for the first mm-hmm. time seeing so many interracial couples, so on and so forth, like going that path would have definitely made sense. But then when you look in the scope of like a lens of a 2021 to see a Klingon man want a Klingon woman when he could mm-hmm. have any kind of woman, mm-hmm. you know, probably in, in the universe that he wanted is very reminiscent of like some of the movement movements mm-hmm. that we're seeing going on in society today. Oh, I agree. I agree. I agree with you on that. Um, I think that as an actress, Susie Plaxon just plays such a formidable character, um, both as Dr. Silar and as Kilar, that mm-hmm. I think that they really couldn't have gone wrong either way right. with her. Um, yeah. Because she just, I think that this was her episode. This was really the Susie Plaxon show featuring mm-hmm. the cast of the <laughs> USS Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Was this the first time we ever saw a Klingon woman? No, we saw a Klingon woman before in the episode where Riker was doing this kind of ex- officer exchange program oh, and he yeah. went into the Klingon ship. But they kind of kept changing how the Klingon females look. Like at this point, they're not showing their boobs like they do later on. Um, they're still kind of covered up and they're still. So this all the outfits that she's wearing, we have never seen before on a Klingon woman. They pretty much just look like Klingon men, but more feminine. Um, this is like, she looks like an earth female basically, which is kind of her point, right? She's half Klingon, but she hates Klingons. (laughs) So of course she's going to wear an outfit. That's not Klingon. She was like, let's kill all of them. She was like, the plan is, the plan is to kill all of them. There is no other plan. (laughs) Yeah. And she says a lot, like she hates being Klingon. She hates that half of her. She considers herself to be human and all of that stuff. So there's a lot of like deeper issues in this episode, which I also really like. Yes. So let's jump into this episode. Um, The opening scene, I love. I love it. It's the senior staff playing poker. And this is something that we like continue. It's a thread that continues to be pulled, um, showing this like off duty camaraderie of the senior staff. And I love it. I love it. Um, Number one, the first thing that I Googled was data poker visor (laughs) because I wanted to, I was like, I want to know everything there is to know about the poker visor because we see it all the time. I want to cosplay as poker data one day. I think, I don't know. So I was like, a, how do you make that? Because I'm always trying to like make things for like costumes or whatever. Um, and it turns out that they, when the show wrapped and like they started getting rid of some of the props and auctioning them off Christie's auction house, which is a very, very like reputable auction house um, auctioned off one of the poker visors that was made for the show. Um, 
it appraised, they thought it would sell for four to $600 and it sold for $6,000. And that right nice. there is the power of Star Trek fandom. That's yes. a Star Trek fan yes. right there. That's some, that's some geek power right there. <laughs> totally is. So that was auctioned off in 2006. Um, and then I was like, what is the point of the visor at all? So here's just like a mini dive. Um, they're called eye shades. Green eye shades were a type of visor that were worn most often from the late 19th to the middle 20th century by accountants, telegraphers, copy editors, and others engaged in vision-intensive detail-oriented occupations to lessen eye strain due to early incandescent light, which really tended to be super harsh. So Mm -hmm. that's why the classic banker's lamp has a green shade for similar reasons, because back in those days, those incandescent lights were crazy, crazy bright. So they had that kind of like green eye shade to just sort of lessen eye strain, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So it's like old school blue blockers. Totally. That's exactly what that is. So, you know, Bono from U2 with his yellow shades, like that's basically what Data Mm -hmm. was doing right there. And I thought that that was such a cool costume design aesthetic that they're in the 24th century. And yet Data thought it was still like important to replicate this like (laughs) early 19th, mid 20th century, like eye shade. Yeah. Yeah. Which is very Data. That's Mm -hmm. very Data. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it right. He's going to like... He's going to he's going to bring the vibe. Um, Speaking of that scene, data dealing cards Mm -hmm. and and the fact that they were only showing his hands. It's kind of like it's I have two thoughts on it. It's kind of like one kind of like showing us that, you know, how efficiently he's doing it because he's an android. Mm -hmm. But then also a part of me was like, was that really him dealing those cards? (laughs) They they only showed the hands and they weren't showing any other part of his body. Spiner, can you (laughs) shuffle cards that fast? Also, I did wonder, I did wonder if they sped up the video just a little, but I, I love that. I can watch data shuffle cards all day long. Yes. I just, it's like, I need that as like a background <laughs> on my computer or like a screensaver that I'm just going to zone out to. You know what? We'll make a, we'll have a t-shirt with his hands and it'll say every day I'm shuffling. <laughs> That'll be another one of our t-shirts. <laughs> we need to create a merch shop, Sharice, because we have so many I know, seriously. nerdy t-shirt ideas. <laughs> well, whenever they're playing poker and they're showing like how efficiently data is is like dealing. I think it's also kind of like a point of he's doing this very human thing. He's in a very Android way. In in a very Android (laughs) way. And it's also Data's way of saying, just so y'all know. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. (laughs) (laughs) And Worf is like, no, you can't. Yes, I can. Yeah. And it's, and he's right. You can't because work totally cleans up from everybody at the table, which is just like such a baller move. And, um, I love that he shuts Pulaski down because that just makes me feel good in my heart. (laughs) I know. I know. He was like, not, (laughs) he goes talk or play, not both. (laughs) He was, he was not there for her humor, you know? Who's there for Pulaski's humor ever? No, she doesn't have any. She just doesn't have any. Well, you know, I do love that this episode has a small little arc from first scene to almost last scene where he says in this poker scene, like Klingons don't bluff. And then the 
that like mm-hmm. penultimate scene, the climax of the episode, he has to bluff. And I thought, oh my God, this is the perfect place to have a poker scene. And he's kind of talking about how Klingons don't bluff. So Ooh. that was really, that was really cool. I just got chills. I missed that connection. <laughs> I I got chills when I was watching it. I was like, oh my God, because the earlier bluffing, then, I got you. Then, I got yeah. you. Yeah. I was, I was really <laughs> excited by that. So an emergency signal comes in from Starfleet and an admiral pops on to the main view screen uh, on the bridge and says that an emissary is coming aboard for a very mysterious but important mission. And there's a couple of really important things here. They are the the emissary is arriving in a class eight probe, which is only two meters long, um, which is for those those of you who are not on metric. It's about six feet or so. The probe can travel at warp nine. So which really, I thought was amazing. I was like, what? Since when can probes do that? Yep. And then by by coming to the Enterprise, instead of having the Enterprise meet them, they're saving six hours, which isn't very much time. But that just goes to show how important. How urgent. Yeah. yeah. How urgent this is. Like you need, if you can save six hours, time is of the essence. So I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. So we get this, this um, announcement and Picard's just kind of like, uh, can you tell me more? Can you tell me anything Anything at all. And Admiral Gromick is just like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Right. And the emissary will tell you everything you need to know when this person arrives. It's really important that you arrive at the coordinates on time. There is zero room for error. Get moving. And yep. it's like, bum, bum, bum. So this is one of those situations that actually made me rethink my position on leadership. So we've talked a lot on this show about how Starfleet comes in and they're just kind of like, dick sometimes, right? They're just like, do mm-hmm. what I say. And I don't have to tell you why. And you're like, dude, come on. Like Picard's not like that. He always tells his crew what's going on. You know, yes, some information is need to know, but he'll tell them when they need to know. Yes. Um, but here in this case, this was a situation where I thought, no, you just really need to listen. Like we don't even have time to share the details or maybe as you're in route, like go ahead and hit engage. And then you guys can chit chat. Cause there's no reason why you can't talk to each other yes. while your ship is moving very fast. Uh, but we don't have time to sit and kind of powwow because if you miss the probe, I mean, how terrifying this emissary is in there in this tiny little coffin flying warp nine through space. You got to get this person. You can't just let mm-hmm. them be sitting around while you're chit-chatting, trying to figure stuff out. So this really kind of changed my mind about, okay, sometimes in command structures, there is no time to explain and you just need to listen. And I think I'm okay with that as long as there's a promise of an explanation, right? Yes. Admiral Gromick was saying, you will know when they arrive, like you're going to get these answers, but right now you got to get moving. Yes. I agree with you on that. I, I agree completely. When when information is need to know and you need to know and they don't give you the information, that's a dick move. But yeah. in, an, in a situation like this, I think you, you said it perfectly. Like there's no time to explain. Just get there and then you'll get the information that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that is cool. Uh, can we talk about the shot of the probe intercepting the Enterprise? That was so beautifully done major, major props to who, the visual effects team on TNG for doing this. I mean, you not only is the Enterprise traveling at warp nine, so, you know, you see the stars kind of like striping by, mm-hmm. but then you see this little coffin kind of come aboard, you know, just like come alongside. It was so cool. I was like, oh, like my little nerd heart was so happy <laughs> watching that. I just thought that was the coolest thing. But then I also went, Huh? Because they lock on the tractor beam and then beam it aboard. And I was like, can you do that? Can you beam something that's locked onto a 
with a tractor beam? That's what they do all the time. Whenever they're getting probes or like the warp core gets ejected for some reason or whatever, they'll lock on it with a tractor beam so it can't move. And that's how they get the pattern lock for the transporter to pull it inside. Mm. Don't ask me why they don't always make things stationary, <laughs> but they try to, right? Because even when they transport people, they try to be like, you know, stand still so I could transport you. They try not to transport people running or jumping. Um, yeah. But like, if it's dramatically satisfying, they will do that as well. I also want to say just kind of like about that moment in that scene of um, the Enterprise lining up with the probe. It also, this is one of the things that I love about the next generation is kind of like their their ability to kind of like show us what's going on as opposed to kind of like poof and then it was this way. It's kind yes. of like, yeah, they, 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 you know, they're working to show us the work which gets you more involved in what you're seeing. Oh my God, Cassandra, you're so spot on about that. TNG does a phenomenal job of showing you the steps. Um, Sharice, do you remember in the episode Times Squared that had the Picard from six hours ahead? Mm -hmm. Yes, and the shuttlecraft was like spinning around and they Mm -hmm. used a tractor beam and then there was that 90 degree angle tractor beam and then they used a secondary tractor beam. Yes, Cassandra, that's exactly it. Like they... Not only props department, set deck department, set design, visual mm-hmm. effects, sound effects. Like there's so much behind the scenes, so much work that goes into creating just that one extra step that doesn't need to be shown, but mm-hmm. is shown to invest you further as a viewer mm-hmm. to create the reality. It's unbelievable. Like just how much detail yes. they put on these on these shows. And I think it's really important for science fiction to do that, Right. I think, I think it's important because this isn't, um, it's not superhero genre. It's not Mm -hmm. fantasy genre. It's it's not, it's, Mm -hmm. it's science and it's the ability of like the human being. And we're showing that they have skills and they are there for a reason. Yeah. Ooh, beautifully put. I want that to be a t-shirt, but it's not as catchy, but yeah. (laughs) Like, but I, but I love that, that quote. <laughs> Maybe that would be on a calendar instead. That t-shirt would be like in the office when they do the Dunder Mifflin, Michael Scott, Meredith Palmer, Memorial, Fun Run, Rabies, 5K, whatever. Like the, the, the like lettering has to be so teeny to fit it all. <laughs> anyway, so now so, we're, now we're off show, but yep. Yep. Yeah. So they bring, so, they, so much editing for this episode. <laughs> so they, they bring this probe aboard. And they lift the lid off the probe. And number one, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're hurtling through space in a coffin with literally just one layer between you and certain death out in the vacuum of space, which is crazy. Yep. And that when they lift the lid off, we can't see the emissary yet, but we can see through that super cool Darth Vader-y mask that her eyes are moving. And I'm like, you were conscious the whole time. How long have you been there? They didn't put you in stasis or anything? I feel like if it was going warp nine, it probably, it probably wasn't that long that she was in there. Maybe an hour or two. I don't know. Probably not that long. I mean, if it saved them six hours, then it was probably like a really short trip, shorter than six hours. Right. It was shorter than that. I guess. Yeah, that's But, but I'm thinking like, like when they opened it and I saw that like oxygen mask on her, my thought was just like, this is freaking terrifying. I mean, even if it was one hour, even if it was 30 minutes, I don't want to be hurling in space in like a six by two torpedo tube basically like that I mean it doesn't matter how long it is that was just really really to me terrifying terrifying I was Mm -hmm. like how did she oh 
And my thought on it is is going to be kind of like, I'm kind of like, yeah, she did that. Women get women get stuff done. Okay. But <laughs> but my concern about that whole scene also is like when they take the top off and we see her there with the mask on and Pulaski is scanning her like no one's thinking to kind of like be like hey how's it going you know are you okay welcome to the enterprise welcome to the enterprise (laughs) do you need help to take off your mask like none of those things happen and she was like she could see her and she's like I'm gonna take my own damn mask off and like (laughs) thanks for nothing yeah thank you for the help they might yeah, as well have so, been flight attendants with no cart and no food options and no drink <laughs> options. You're like, you're not even doing your job. Which is basically just another passenger now at this like, point. Like, seriously, yes. like, couldn't you imagine her needing some help? Like, she was just <laughs> traveling at warp nine in a class eight probe. Yes. Again, as you mentioned, with just like one layer between her and like sudden death. And yes. like, they can't even say hello. Or like give her a hand to lift her up or anything. Well, this is Pulaski though, to be fair. So yes. she the doesn't usually say hello. Yeah, her bedside manner is negative 1,000. So she she really <laughs> doesn't have any. Um, here Here's my super nerd question. This is my sci-fi nerd question. If that probe has been like stripped of all of its probe things and life support has been put on it so she can, you know, speed around at warp nine. Um, two words, inertial dampeners. Okay, the Enterprise has inertial dampeners, which essentially means as they jump into warp speed, everybody is not thrown to the back of the room and flattened against the wall like a pancake. Mm-hmm. How, where are the inertial dampeners on this class eight probe? This woman is at warp nine. She would just be jelly on the backside of like that probe. But, but whatever, I would guess whatever. Me, I'm not gonna... With you saying that, which, yeah, I didn't think about that. But with you saying that, I would think that probes and torpedoes and all of those would have those inertial dampeners because you don't want all the little parts inside to be jiggling around either at warp nine, especially if it's a probe, it's got to be designed in a way that it will, everything inside of it and everything outside of it will stay as it is to report back whatever information it's recording. Right. So it probably has that built in. We're just going to, we're just going to poof. (laughs) It has inertial dampeners. I like that. That was really amazing, Sharice, because I was going to say, like, maybe they found a way to put that in her super fly outfit. (laughs) (laughs) They just put it in the lining like they did in the last episode. Of which her outfits, her outfits alone are warp nine. Those outfits need to come with inertial dampeners. She is so ridiculously spot on. I want to get to the part, like, when we talk about her outfit, I hope we get to talk about her outfit for when she goes to the holodeck. Oh, we will. Yes. Oh, we will. And we're going to post a picture of it up on our Instagram at the TNG podcast, because holy crap, the woman brings the fire. She is the hot sauce in this episode. So here's what happens that I thought was interesting. Um, As Pulaski's scanning her, do-do-do-do. Um, then we see, um, we see her just being like shocked. And I was like, oh my gosh, did Killar die or something? Like, why is she looking shocked? And then it was like, she's there, there's something wrong with her physiology. And then we come to find out that Kalar is actually half Klingon and half human. And everybody was like, what? And for me, I was just like, why is this weird? Right. Cause it's 2021 at the time of this mm-hmm. recording, this show's 30 years old. Like we've had since then we've had deep space nine and Voyager and discovery and all these other shows. So I was just like, why is that weird? But then I had to rewind my my brain and say, wait a minute. In the original series, Klingons were the bad guys 
and the Federation were the good guys and they were at war. And then by the time we get to TNG, they have some kind of tenuous peace treaty. And so for a human and a Klingon to actually mate and have a child would be so outrageous and so unheard of. So basically we're in 1953 at this point with a white person and a black person being together. And it's like, what? Like we just mm-hmm. barely, you know, we we're having civil rights movements right now. And somehow you guys are hooking up and I don't know how, how we feel about that. Like both sides have some issues. So I was kind of like, first I was confused why they were confused. And then I remembered, okay, in the context, this would be weird. And then we kind of come to find out that Kalar absolutely hates everything about being Klingon and everything about her Klingon side and pretty much wants to disown it which is impossible because she looks like a freaking Klingon. Yeah. She doesn't pass as a human woman. Right. She doesn't quote unquote pass. Exactly. So she's like a light skinned black woman who hates being black and wants to be white, but you're not. And when everybody sees you, they don't see you as half of anything. They Mm -hmm. see you as a whole percent of the thing that you hate. So I thought that was a really interesting thing that I think of a lot with, with Worf living with a bunch of humans. Um, It just that cultural chaos going on so I don't know I just found that really fascinating yeah there's so much self-loathing going on like inside Kalar and I wonder it does make me wonder about people who are mixed race and hate a part of their background mm-hmm. um I'm I'm a mixed race gal um and I embrace like both sides of my like ethnicity like from my mom and dad's side but there, there has to be people out there who have, di- you know, a blend of different races and ethnicities and may like really dislike part of their ethnicity. And it, to me, it's like, that's just confusing and sad because it's like a shadow, like you'll never shake that. So, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, learning a little self-love might be go a long way because I feel like Kalar is stomping around the enterprise causing a ruckus. And a lot of it is like her own internal shit that she's dealing mm-hmm. with but she's putting it on other people. And I, and I, I love her as a character, but I feel like I would be frustrated with her as a friend or a whoever. Cause it's like, look, I am not your enemy. Stop biting my head off. Like you are dealing with your own internal things. But anyway, we haven't even gotten there yet quite yet. Right. They do bring her aboard. She comes to the observation lounge, which I love. And this is something that I didn't love. She is introduced to everyone and straight up, just airs her dirty laundry with Worf in front of all of the senior staff. And she's like, so this is where you've been hiding. Well, I missed you too. And I was like, girl, as a professional, (laughs) don't do that. Don't do that because, you know, data's over here, like looking confused. Riker's getting his popcorn out, you know? And I'm like, this is a bad look. First of all, poor Worf. You haven't Worf seen is no him. better though. Worf is no, no Worf better. Is no better because in that she's situation. like, "Hey there," and he's like, "I have nothing to say to you." And he's also a professional. And I was True. shocked actually by his reaction. I was shocked by his reaction, and I was shocked by the fact that neither Riker nor Picard called him on it because we we saw that in the last episode where they were talking trash about Lawaxana Troy, mm-hmm. and where Picard was like, "Hey, she's an ambassador, so you need to treat her with respect, regardless." But they didn't do that for Kalar. They didn't go, hey, Lawaxana was wild and talking all kind of crazy to Picard and everybody else. And they said, well, she's an ambassador. Let's treat her with respect. Kalar comes in and just says, I missed you too. And Worf snaps at her and they don't reprimand him. They're not like, hey, she's an emissary. Like your personal issues are your personal issues, but you need to treat her with respect, which I was really surprised by because we just saw in the last episode them correcting that behavior 
as far as being professional. So, um, yeah, her, her behavior was odd, but his behavior was like, his reaction was not professional either. And I'm surprised that no one said anything about it at all. The, the lack, the lack of professionalism was staggering, was was staggering. Yes. It was, (laughs) it was frustrating where I was like, how, number one, how dare you come aboard the ship and just air your, air your personal dirty laundry out at, at a, at a work meeting. And then, yeah, for Worf two to respond the way he did, it's like, ew, this is just ew all around. Please don't ever do this in a real yeah, let's, world. Let's save setting. this conversation for after the meeting. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's just say we've met and leave it at that. And then y'all can go out into the hallway or walk her to her quarters and then you can have that conversation. But it was very off-putting for me. And I, and that was one, that was the one thing really about Kalar that I didn't like where I was like, Kalar, was this really the reason you took this like job? So you could go to the enterprise and like bust up with your ex. Like, cause that is super. Yeah. So but it wasn't so Cause we know. Yeah. It wasn't, that wasn't her reason though. She was just trying to stop the Klingons from killing everybody. And she was the closest Klingon and they were yes. the closest ship. So it was a coincidence. So the reason she's there at all is there's a Klingon ship called the Tong, whose crew has been in a cryogenic sleep for 75 years. When they awaken, they'll think that the Federation is still at war with the Klingon empire. And so the mission is essentially to stop, you know, them from destroying these outposts that the ship is near. Um, and the, Yeah, because when they awaken, they're going to be near like six outposts yes. of, of the Federation that are all unarmed. So they're going to wake up in, in this warship thinking they're at war near all these Federation territory ter- territories that cannot defend themselves. Exactly. So they have to figure out some way of stopping this. Now I have a tangent to go on, but this story of what's going on with the Tong reminded me so much. I'm a big history buff. So we're about to get history lesson over up in here, but it reminded me of Um, this Japanese soldier who in 1944 was sent to this small island in the Western Philippines to spy on U.S. forces. And Allied forces defeated the Japanese Imperial Army in the Philippines in the later stages of the war, but uh, Lieutenant Onoda evaded capture. And he and a few holdouts hid in the jungles, dismissing messages that the war was over. And for 29 years, he survived on food, from the jungle or stolen from local farmers. So he didn't come out of hiding until 1974 and the war was over in 1945. What happened after that? So they found him in the jungle. So he and a couple of other comrades, cause they were spies. So they were this like their own like unit, very isolated from everyone else. So he and a couple of comrades were living in the jungle for years and these various comrades died for various circumstances. And he was eventually the only one left. And the only way that they found, they found him and persuaded him to come out of hiding is his former commander had to like fly to this Island and and go and meet him in person and persuade him that the war really was over. And when he did come out of hiding, all of his uniform and everything was still in like amazing shape he had like patched and sewn everything like he was this is like some mental discipline right here so they had to release him from his military duties and like officially like resign him until he that's how he finally came out of hiding but he lived in the jungle for 29 years in the philippines thinking that the war was still going on 
This is a real life person. He and he so, died just a couple of years ago, like at the ripe age of like 104 or something. That's an incredible that's story. That's an incredible yeah. story. And it and it is, it's just like this because coming out of stasis after, you know, coming out of the jungle after 30 years or coming out of mm-hmm. stasis after almost 80 years, you gotta imagine everyone you've ever known or loved pretty much thinks you're dead. Um, yes. because these Klingons were on a super secret mission. So no one even knew they were in cryogenic stasis except for the high high ups in the Klingon high command. And they've told them now because now they're allies and stuff. But so like 80 years later, all your friends, all your family, your kids, your spouse, whatever, they thought you're dead. And now you show back up and they're mm-hmm. like, grown. like in, in the case of this Japanese soldier, they're all grown, you know, or elderly. Yes. Or in the case of these Klingons, they're all dead. Um, that's kind of a crazy world to come into. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, it makes me wonder what this lieutenant like what his reality was like when he came out of the jungle and even in like subsequent years, you know, like reintegrating himself back into society, you left your home society 30 years ago and you haven't been back since, and you've been hiding out in the jungle. So you haven't been around normal uh, people doing normal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the technology, just the technology and the fashion and the societal norms. It's just completely different now. And that, you know, from the forties to the seventies, that was a crazy time of change. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, what am I like, what space age world am I coming into? So yes, for Mm -hmm. these Klingons as well, like when they go back home, it's like, how much technological advancement has there been? How much societal change has there been? And Kalar did say like her, her vote is to destroy the ship because she said, these are Klingons from another time. They don't belong in this time. They mm-hmm. mentally, their, their headspace, their belief structure are so completely different from what like the current one is that they will mm-hmm. not be able to reintegrate. Like we should just destroy the ship. She's not you know a very she, good emissary. I got, I'm not going to lie. Cause she's like, yeah, just destroy no, it. she, just she sucks it. as an emissary, but, <laughs> but she has a point there though, because thinking about it, like she said, let them die as Klingons, let them die in battle, let them die in glory. But knowing that there's peace by the time they do go home, they'll have no chance to die in glory because they've yes. kind of run out of bad guys to fight. So yeah, that right. will also be really hard. They went on this 80 year journey to wake up and be like, psych, we're robbing you of this great victory. Like she did yeah. show some, she did show some empathy when she said, you know, let them die as Klingons. That was a moment where she was able to access, you know, switch back and access her Klingon self. Yeah, that's true. Cause before she was like, just kill them. <laughs> and then she said, but kill them because they should die with glory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they did. She really did. You know, she really did use her Klingon side. You're so right, Cassandra, because a human would not have understood that. You know what I mean? Like she, right. as a Klingon would have, you know, would have totally gotten that. Um, Picard refuses and he sends his staff to search for better options. Lieutenant Worf d- is assigned to work with Kalar. And as everybody leaves the room and Troy walks Kalar to her quarters, Picard has to basically talk with Worf. And Worf is like, you know, I really can't work with her. And he's like, okay, well, are there any personal reasons why you don't want to work with her? And he says, yes. But then he says, are there any professional reasons why you can't work with her? And I thought that was kind of expertly done on Picard's behalf. Like he Mm -hmm. didn't lecture him. He just asked him a couple of very straightforward questions. And Worf himself was like, "Ah, yeah, you know what? I withdraw my request. Mm -hmm. Um, So he, 
I think as a good therapist, he asked the questions and Worf came to his own conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I disagree with Picard's call on this because if Worf has personal reasons that are going to get in the way of of your duties mm-hmm. there's a there's a thousand and eleven other people on the enterprise you can probably find someone else to work with kalar that will be able to get the job done just but probably no one else who's as expert in klingon culture and yeah, they're trying to find right a that. diplomatic solution and the, on the ship they really are big on your personal issues you put to the side like they're very big on that like if you are calling yourself a senior staff member you put that stuff to the side and they don't, I mean, Riker and Troy, they're like, put that to the side. They might be like on their deathbed and you might be super sad. You cry about it afterwards. Right now we're dealing with this. So um, I felt like it was very in character though. Then we have these two women walking down the hallway. We have Troy walking Kalar to her quarters. Did you notice Kalar fucking towers over Troy, just towers over like head and shoulders over her. Um, and I was like, holy crap, Susie Plaxon was is a very, very tall lady. Um, but I, I love that she has this like, Kalar has this hard edge and Troy is the softer side, you know? Uh, and, mm-hmm. and like, she's also half human, half alien, you know, she's half beta mm-hmm. Z and Kalar is half human, half Klingon. And so they kind of talk a little bit about their experiences of being mixed races, like mixed planet, um, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And, and I thought that that was really perfect because this is only the second time we've seen an alien being who's like, who's half human. Mm-hmm. Um, and Troy does say, I didn't know that humans and Klingons are sexually compatible. And Kalar does say they are, but like it requires like some extra kind of tweaking or something. Like there's some extra work that goes into, I guess, mm-hmm. to make that mating happen. Probably don't need to know all the details about it, but <laughs> it seems like with a little help, you can have a half Klingon, half human baby. Which I'm sorry. I was going to say... You don't need to know all the details, but I, <laughs> I got all kinds of questions. <laughs> Imagine it's kind of like a Chihuahua and a Great Dane or something where I'm like, how does this even work? I don't, yeah, okay. like, don't yeah, know. so many questions, but somehow they made it work. And that's what we find. We get, we get the reveal that Kalar hates her Klingon half because it's so passionate and uncontrolled and her human half seems more easy for her to control. She feels like she can't Mm. control her Klingon side or it gets out of control or, you know, it just, it just kind of erupts from her and she doesn't like that feeling of being out of control. And then we hear Troy's take on her mixed race um, ancestry. And she just feels like she got the best of both worlds and Mm -hmm. she kind of takes the best parts and leaves the worst parts. And Kayla feels like she got the worst of both worlds. And she's just dealing with this kind of a mess of who she is as a person. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. She does say, sometimes I feel there's a monster inside of me fighting to get out. That's not a good feeling. No. <laughs> that and, is not, that is not cool. are not monsters. So something about her upbringing had her thinking that half of her was wrong and bad, but Klingons are not monsters. They're just different. What does that, what does that remind you of? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's oh, sure. like, the same kind of um, racial things that I always, issues I always have with Klingons, especially uh, with the fact that almost all the Klingons are played by white people really bugs me, (laughs) including this, like just, it just bugs me seeing her like darkened skin. It's just like in the HD of today's TV screen. I'm just like, why couldn't we just find, you can't tell me there was no black actress in Hollywood. You can't tell me that. However, I do love her as an actress, right? 
So yeah, here, it was just like, you know, Klingons are not, they're not bad. They're not monsters. They're not yes. the bad guy. They're just different. And I think about my family at a get together pre COVID days where people are playing dominoes and people are dancing and people are singing and people are, you know, yelling at the kids and whatever. And it's very loud. My family mm-hmm. can be very, very loud. Um, and other people, maybe in other cultures might find that scary, right? They think that the yelling is scary, but this isn't scary yelling. This is just loud talking, right? This is just like fun. And that's kind of how I think of Klingons. They're loud, they're big, but they're not bad. They're just, that's just their personalities. They're very big. Yeah. They do have the big personality. They're just very, very bold. So it makes me sad that she does not like who she is and her whole entire people. (laughs) That's like a lot. I know. Well, she just seems to, yes, she seems to just really, I mean, her argument for destroying the Klingons is they're people out of their time. And that's why diplomacy just will not work. If we're talking with like Klingons today, that would, the diplomacy would probably work. They might grit their teeth, but they'd go along with it. But these are Klingons from 80 years ago. Diplomacy is not a thing from that time. It won't work. So she's being very pragmatic about it. But yes, when she says about the, like, there's a monster inside of me fighting to get out, it's like, now it's like, okay, there's a little self-loathing. <laughs> now <laughs> we know that there's, an, there's another layer to her, like, we need to kill them. Like, she's got a good yes. point. And then she's got, like, a not so great point where she's just going, um, you know, like, Klingons are bad. Klingons are evil. Klingons are just going to kill everything. You can't yes. talk to them. You know, it's like, well, you're not even going to try. No, there's no reason to try. It's like, you sh- you could try. You could definitely yeah, exa- try. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So she does go to meet Worf in a kick-ass outfit. So this is the, her first of several outfit changes. By the way, those hair adornments that she mm-hmm. has, these kind of like metal things in her hair, so effing on point for 2021. Because <laughs> I don't know how many pictures you could see from like Coachella of years past like women have things like that in their hair and it looks amazing it looks so cool killer shows up to to work with Worf in that outfit that's kick-ass she does show up late and he's like you're late and she said I had to make myself beautiful and I thought oh that was a little I mean she knows that she's sassy and fierce but I was like this is a little cringy because he could not have been more clear in the observation lounge that he's not interested in your flavor right now. Like he doesn't want anything mm-hmm. to do with you. So she does keep, but she doesn't believe it- that she does not believe that. And she's right. <laughs> he's not telling the truth. She, she is right in that he does have an interest in talking to her, but this is again, probably not the right time. She keeps trying <laughs> to bring up their past. And Worf is like, I don't want to fucking talk about this with you. Mm-hmm. I am trying to like, get this job done. And you are just here to, be like, can we talk about us? It's like, no, we can't talk about us. I don't want you know to talk about us. <laughs> this reminds me of an episode one and encounter at Farpoint when they're at yes! the Farpoint station and Troy is all like Riker, maybe you and I should go underground to, you know, talk and look for the source of this interference. And he's like, nah, I'm good. You can go ahead and go with somebody else. Peace out. And you're like, Ooh. this is why we're friends, Cherise. <laughs> this right here is why we're friends. Because in my notes, I wrote did Troy give her notes on this before she went into the room? Because she totally got the Troy memo of like trying to bring up a relationship conversation with someone who could not be more like uninterested in having mm-hmm. that conversation. Yeah. So they, they start arguing. Worf is looking for options. Kalar is insisting that there are none. And this shouting match is ensuing. And personally, I love that she can go toe to toe with Worf. 
but it's totally for the wrong reasons. She has this yeah. unresolved feeling. She's frustrated. He doesn't want to engage with her on it. So she is basically just like outletting her frustration in this like professional conversation that is going completely askew. You know, I could, <laughs> I really want to see like a little quick cut of like Chief O'Brien wandering into that room, <laughs> seeing them shouting and then slowly back out and the door's just closed behind him. <laughs> He's like, oh, this Chief is not the Brian. right one. Yeah. <laughs> or Troy, you know, wandering into it. Be like, what's going on in here? Oh, 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 oh. And then just slowly back out. I would love to see that. <laughs> so, Cassandra, this is the perfect time for your input right here because Kaylar is pissed about what's going on. She storms into her quarter and smashes the shit out of a table. And I thought, number one, how did the crew the filming crew create this effect of her smashing the table without her like hand getting all cut up. I well, was they like, usually like- do um, whenever it's a glass breaking, it's usually something made out of sugar. And we actually have a, um, a prop specialist in the room with us now listening to our live recording. So maybe we can ask this question at the end. And for those of you who would love to listen to us live, we are recording live on clubhouse, go ahead and uh, sign up for our email list so you can get our links. You can go to info at the TNG podcast. You can email us there to find out more or go to our website, the TNG podcast.com. So we could probably find out the details for sure later, but I do know usually in movies when they do glass breaking scenes, it's actually made out of sugar. So it's like a, it's like a sugar water thing. Yeah. So it looks like glass, but it looks like glass and it breaks like glass. Like it breaks in those big shards and chunks, Mm -hmm. Um, but it can't hurt you at all. And it's really easy to clean up. And it's really easy to make more. So that was my assumption. And then they just add in the, the glass sound effect. Yeah, because I was like, Susie Plaxon would have had a, no hand left if she had gone <laughs> through that glass in real life. For the moment, though, I think it would have been really great for when they were designing that scene if they put a, like a little blood on her hands. Just a little, just a little would have been would have been nice. Um, Troy, meanwhile, is wandering around the ship, and she <laughs> as Troy is wont to do. <laughs> As she does. And she just goes, you know, you hear a table smash and then you hear. (laughs) And she comes in exactly at the wrong time. But I do love that she is a little bit like Kalar's cheerleader where she's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to suggest you go to the holodeck and beat the shit out of some aliens there and maybe just get some of this tension out. So this is when she comes together with what looks like a Parisi Squares plus like kind of calisthenics outfit. She's got like Mm -hmm. the spiked shoulder pad. It's neon pink and black one piece Lycra unitard with so much (laughs) attitude all over it. It is, she is ready for anything. Or it could be, as I call it, a preview from the next Ivy Park collection. There you go. There it is. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's coming out in the next Beyonce I, Ivy Park drop. Um, that that entire look, Ugh. like sh- the whole like w- one tight onesie, whatever you want to call it, workout mm-hmm. gear with the little yes. like shield things. And she was ready to work out because mm-hmm. she had knee yes. guards on as well. Like she was, she was not going to mess around. This is you know what when I work out. That is the, I wear regular workout clothes, but that's the vibe. I like to play rough 
physically. So I am all about going in there with like a sword and a, a spiked glove. And I'm like, let's beat the crap out of something. Like, come on, Kaylar, let's go. Let's take it. Yeah. So on. we see the return of the spiked glove. This is our second time seeing this program run. The first time was Worf and Riker running it because they're supposed to be best friends. Um, that At least that's how it was written for them to eventually become best friends. They do become best friends, but it's not as cute as Jordy and Data, I think. But nope, in any case, not even close. In any case, this is our second time seeing this program being run. So we see a return of the giant spiked glove, which has no purpose because as Kalar is in there just beating the crap out of these aliens, she only punches them with her ungloved hand. <laughs> and I was just like, what? What is the purpose? Once again, why do we have this giant glove? Why do we even have this? <laughs> well, this is, I do love it. I do love it because she is in there. Well, she, as she's, before she even enters the holodeck, she's perusing on the comm panel all these different calisthenic programs. And she's like, Lieutenant Worf's calisthenic program? Okay, this is too tempting to pass mm-hmm. up. And I thought, what a weird way to like spy on him a little bit or kind of like get more information on him. Which is like, Worf's program, let me jump on in. I was like, okay, okay. I thought she was, for me, I was thinking like, if she's just going through the program, seeing what would be good for her. If she sees one that Worf created, she knows she's going to like it because it's obviously made for Klingons. That's what I was thinking. She doesn't have to kind of sample. I thought it was kind of like when you're Instagram stalking your ex and it was kind of like, it was like, I'm going to see what this fool is up to. That's what I thought as well. I was like, it's a little invasive, but I also thought that's Worf's bad for putting his name on it. <laughs> because anybody from the ship, it says, do, do not enter property of Worf or something. So it's like everybody who's into Worf is like, ooh, yeah, maybe don't put your don't put your initials on it or whatever. You know, or make it a private program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So me, so she walks in. We do see that it's like, ooh, this is that same kind of calisthenics program that Worf was doing before. She picks up the glove. And then it immediately cuts to the bridge and Worf is kind of cracking up a little bit mentally. He's like shouting at others. He's snappy. He he clearly has a lot of unresolved issues and Picard orders him to take a chill pill. So he heads to the holodeck to beat the crap out of Skeletor and mm-hmm. finds Kalar is already beating him to it. And he is all sorts of turned on watching Kalar kick everybody's ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's sitting there like, mm-hmm. he has, by the way, he hasn't changed out of his uniform. So that was kind of weird to me because Killar came like in. But he didn't before right. either. Remember when that That's episode true. with him and Riker, because that was my issue was like, if they're doing a workout program and they knew ahead of time they were going to do this workout program, they want to take their uniform off. So that wasn't unusual. That's how he does his calisthenics. True. I guess so. But yeah, so he he is like loving watching her take these you know, holographic alien monsters down um, and joins her for the fun, which is totally something I would do. I'd be like, give me a gun. Let me play or whatever. Like, that's what I would want to do on the holodeck. So they defeat these aliens and Kalar and Worf get a little rough and a little frisky. And he does that hand thing where he grips her hand and her nails Mm -hmm. make her hand bleed. And she is there for it. She Mm -hmm. is there for it. She's accessing all sorts of. I also want to note that's when they start playing like what I call the Kalar and Worf theme music. That's kind of like (laughs) it's like passionate. It's like romantic. It's a little tribal. (laughs) Okay. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a little, and it's a little 80s slash 24th century. <laughs> <laughs> 80s future pop or whatever. Yeah. Teenage me seeing this for the first time. I'm just like, I'm kind of like, well, hold up. It was primal and sexy and they're kind of doing the Klingon, like sniffing each other sort of animally kind of. Yeah, it was, it was, you knew it was going to be rough and you knew it was going to be good. It was yeah, going down. And what I love about this scene, well, what I didn't love was the smelling each other. I love, I like that as primal and like, I get that. And at the same time that made me nauseous. But anyways, what I really liked following the sniffing each other scene was how you get this kind of like metaphorical curtain blowing in the breeze and it just kind of goes to commercial and when it comes back they're fully dressed again they've dabbed the sweat off their foreheads they're happy they're good and I just really appreciated that coming from 2021 which is when we're currently recording this right now and tv is very graphic and you get all the parts I just I just kind of like that throwback to like all right we know they're gonna do it they're about to do it in whatever way Klingons do it which is a lot I think and we just kind of get to leave that up to our imagination. And I like it involves, that. It involves pain sticks. Pain sticks, And yep. the skulls of your vanquished foes. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing. That's what Klingon sex looks like, I think. <laughs> like, also, like, coming back from com- commercial in that scene where they're fully dressed. Like, you definitely know that, like, they weren't dressed before and they're dressed now because Worf has taken off his sash. Yes, which is called a baldric. Um, and yes, and it was on the ground. And I knew I totally clocked it. And I was like, this right here is the Klingon version of bra and panties being left on the rug or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you all knew what you were doing, set designers and set decorators and costumers and props. You all knew what you were doing and you did it well. This was this was the bra and panties or like the pants crumpled on the foot of the bed. That's what that was. His baldric was off and it was in a sweaty heap on a rock. I think it was perfect to, for them to show that, especially considering how um, how the rest of that scene plays out of like, of kind of like you yes. say it's the bra and panties and, and, and it definitely is because Worf is the wounded one in that scenario. Yes. So now they're having their Klingon version of pillow talk and Worf decides that he didn't, they didn't have the courage when they're kind of doing the like postmortem on their past from six Mm -hmm. years ago. He's like, we didn't have the courage six years ago. And he decides he has to step up now. And he starts taking what is like the Klingon wedding vow. Mm -hmm. And I thought, number one, you're surrounded by dead aliens, super romantic and also for Klingons, what, clearly for, it was. Which made me wonder if you're a Klingon wedding planner, what does your portfolio look like? You know, like when you're showing potential lots bride, of vanquished foes, lots mm-hmm. of vanquished foes, lots of blood, lots of like lots of blood wine and steaming mugs. And like, yeah, I was like, this is so he's he starts taking this vow. And Kalar is like, no, this was a booty call. I am not going to become your wife. I'm a 24th century woman. I fly around in class eight probes at warp nine, having better shit to do than like cooking your dinner. Okay. I am not doing this. And she storms yeah. off and poor yes. Worf is standing on a rock surrounded with his baldric discarded on the ground. And I'm like, oh, poor Worf. This is so yeah. sad. So that was sad. sad because like they didn't plan this. They've had this tension this whole time, but they didn't plan to hook up. So this was like a surprise for both of them. 
a lovely surprise. And that's kind of where she wanted to maybe either leave it or start, right? Like this is a lovely surprise. Let's see where it goes. But Worf just jumps to, well, now that we're mated, let's go ahead and get married. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we got to think about some stuff here. And he's like, no, we don't married right now. I'm going to take the vow and we're going to be married. And she's like, nope, nope. Before you even finish those words, let me get the heck out of here. Cause apparently you yeah. don't need a minister or anything. You just say it out loud it's done. So she was like, let me get out of here before I hear the rest of the words. And you I try to make this official. Yeah, that's it. yeah exactly. <laughs> so she runs for the hills and she makes it. <laughs> and Worf is just like, but I thought, hello, Kalar, Kalar. No, the, I feel, I feel, I felt so bad for him. And I still feel bad for him because he, you know, Worf knows what he wants at this point. He didn't know what he wanted, you know, 26 minutes ago when they were, you know, arguing in the, astronomy lab or wherever the hell they were and they're fighting and arguing and she's trying to talk about the relationship and he's like what relationship we never had i don't want to talk about that but okay at this point they have you know dropped their baldricks they have done the deed and now he's like we lacked courage and i don't want to lack courage with you anymore and i thought that was so sweet and i think maybe he should have consulted her before he just started oathing around you know like that's what a wedding proposal is you propose and then if she says yes or he says yes or they say yes then you can kind of start planning but you don't just do not gentlemen do not just (laughs) have your girlfriend or whoever or boyfriend or whatever come home from the grocery store and you've already put up like a an altar and you have a minister waiting and everything don't surprise people like that that's not okay <laughs> don't do that unless they said they're they're into that kind of thing i don't know mm-hmm. but yeah there there needed to be a little consultation <laughs> so she understandably is like no 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 this was just like a one time thing it doesn't mean anything we're just sort of like working through our sexual tension and and i and i understand Worf's point of view and i understand Kalar's like mm-hmm. don't just try to trap me into marriage before even asking me if that's something i want to do like that's yeah so she does run for the hills and when we see them next they're reporting back for duty and and Worf brings data with him as a chaperone <laughs> Man, this is Data's second time being the wingman. Second time, because he also was brought as Picard chaperone when Lawaxana tried to seduce him in last week's episode. Oh my God, you're right. So Data gets to reprieve his his role. Yeah, as wingman. So he shows up. And again, Data's the perfect person to pick because he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't get those subtle cues that something's awkward here. But Kalar just cues him in. So she's just like, oh, so you're the chaperone. And he's like, I know what a chaperone is, but I don't understand why you would call me that in this context. And it's just like, whatever, let's just get to work. <laughs> you know? So yes. Yeah. But, again, yeah. but chaperone or no chaperone, Kalar is all about to air the dirty laundry. And she's yeah. like, yeah, data, we did it in the holodeck during the calisthenics program 14 <laughs> minutes ago. And what? Like, she's so like, <laughs> I was like, Kaylar, no, no. I was, yeah. I was doing the little like hand slash across the throat motion. Where I was like, no, 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 no. Like data doesn't need to know this. But I loved it though, because she was like, do you think I care because you brought your little friend? I don't. Okay. I don't <laughs> care that your little friend is here. I'm still, I said what I said. Okay. And I'm going to keep, and I'm going to keep saying it. (laughs) We were in the holodeck 14 minutes ago doing it. I told you that I got a job and I don't have time to marry you. Nothing is different. It's only been 14 minutes. 
<laughs> it's not a lot of time to process. You know, maybe 14 days later, she might be like, I've had time to think about it and I've changed my mind. But 14 minutes is not a lot of time. So, so Kalar's idea, she does come up with an idea. She's like, we don't have to destroy the tongue. Let's actually meet them early before they come out of their cryogenic sleep. And there is a Klingon ship called the Prang that can meet us in two days time. So if we just sort of keep them cryogenically suspended, we can have the Klingon ship meet them. And then the Klingons can explain to the Tong crew, like what has happened and basically just bring them up to speed uh, because they did bring up a really good point on the show where they're like, wouldn't a Klingon ship be better to meet this Klingon ship from the past that doesn't know we're at peace now? Yeah. Like, yeah. Which is what know, they wanted to do originally. Yeah. But yeah. the time was of an essence because they didn't know exactly when the ship was going to thaw. They exactly. just knew it was going to happen soonish. Exactly. And Kalar does say there is, of course, the chance that they've already come out of their cryogenic sleep. So they may already be awake and speeding toward these outposts, these Federation outposts. Um, and we do see the Tong ship approaches the Enterprise and they're like, well... We sense, you know, we can, the sensors can pick up that there's life aboard, but we can't tell if they're asleep or not. We can't really tell, you know, propulsion seems to be kind of at a minimum. So they might be, and then boom, boom, you know, green laser beams start flying Mm -hmm. towards the enterprise. And they're like, "Uh, I guess they're awake now. (laughs) And Worf thinking on his feet. Thank you, Worf. He's worked out those sexual demons. Worf is back on duty and he can think clearly. And he's like, I've got another idea. He and Kalar dress in Klingon uniforms and pretend to command the Enterprise, which, number one, brilliant plan. Yes. Brilliant plan. And I cannot stress enough how fucking incredible they look in their Klingon uniforms. So, Worf's utility robe, because did you notice the back thing? It was like a little backpack pocket. Yes. It was like a a jacket, the jacket that I got to wear to... um, to thailand that is kind of like it's from Colombia, and it can be like so many different things yes okay it is a cargo vest that's floor length so it's technically a duster but like sleeveless with a built-in backpack on the back and i think and i'm not sure because we're watching one episode as a time at a time as we review but i think this is the only time we see Worf in like traditional Klingon warrior, like commander outfit. And he looks so good. Well, you see it again on deep space nine, especially. Oh, and we see it when he goes back home. There's some episodes when he goes back to Klingon for a few different reasons, but we never see him in the command. He just wears like traditional Klingon attire, but this is like command attire. So this is traditional attire with some extra stuff on top. And and they look Oh my gosh, so good. And the way they sit, they sit down too. They like crush it. They put Picard and Riker to shame. They sit with some sass and like Killar they are just basically, boss. yeah, she's like kind of like man spreading sort of. And mm-hmm. she like she does she's giving zero Fs whatsoever and owning it, just owning it so hard. Um I just think that that was incredible. Like I I paused it and I was Mm -hmm. really like looking hard at the uniform and I was like, okay, how would you make that? How would you build that? I mean, those are bespoke uniforms. You did not go, you know, you didn't get like a vest off of Amazon and then just tweak it. Like you made that from scratch. The costume design department of Star Trek is so effing good. So talented. I I cannot stress enough how incredible 
incredible those uniforms were and there were layers you know because not yep. only did you have like that duster but all the pieces underneath and just all the right amounts of everything were shook and they the looked, shoes looked- are so cool because those shoes are like these big boots with spikes yes. yeah oh so yummy yeah so good one of the best uniforms of all time i think of all time I noticed how she's sitting in that scene, but especially um, in a previous scene when she's in the, on the bridge in the red outfit, when she's like, and it's like power posing and, and they teach women to do that, to make themselves, to make themselves bigger and to take up, take up more space to, in, in order to show your power. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love that. I just love mm-hmm. seeing her do that. It is amazing. Yeah, they don't look like they're sitting in chairs. They look like they're sitting on thrones. So when the screen comes on, you're just like, they're clearly in charge. Like, there's no question. I think with the normal bridge crew, you're kind of like, which which guy? It's somebody in the middle, probably, because they're not. They don't have any buttons, so maybe they're in charge. But when you see this, you're like, oh, we know who's in charge. <laughs> we know exactly who's in charge. They yeah, they they brought all their side dishes of swagger with them, like for this scene. They, they absolutely killed it. Um, I do have one major complaint though. When they are talking to the Klingons aboard the Tong, these actors are in the worst blackface I have ever seen ever. I was like, you, Oh my God. I mean, we have talked about this so much mm-hmm. on our show and we, we have talked about how disappointing it is that they couldn't just find black actors to play the you know dark skinned Klingons. The only black actor who plays a Klingon is Michael Dorn, who's who's black, and everybody else is just a white guy or woman in blackface. With some and face they, paint, like, yeah, yeah. And this blackface is so so bad in the scene. I was like, yeah, Jesus I don't think it was Christ, bad though in the in the eighties, like in eighty nine or whatever. It probably looked really good on those maybe, TV yeah, screens. maybe in ultra HD these days. It just it was like it looks bad, yeah, because you can see all the details. That's why it was so it was so bad. It really it was like this is yeah. Uh, it just made me mad. But anyway, problem so would co- be solved with black actors, but whatever. They don't do that. So Diversity, <laughs> they, don't, in, they don't do that. Inclusion writers. <laughs> that's what we need. That's what we needed then, and that's what we need now. Anyway, so we have this callback to the poker scene where Worf bluffs he's he says he is commanding the enterprise this is his even though it's a federation ship he is the captain you know Kalar is his first officer she doesn't even say anything and she doesn't need to because she's just so such a fucking impressive looking and so like I would be so intimidated speaking to her mm-hmm. um but he bluffs that he's going to destroy the ship if they don't lower the shields and at the last second the captain of the tongue is like fine we capitulate and he falls for the bluff and surrenders and he says fine my first officer kalar is going to beam aboard and get get you boys all up to speed and i love that she's like yes i will and like without a second thought she's about to beam over and then we have this really awkward uncomfortable painful tear jerky goodbye between Worf and kalar um and i love that Worf tells O'Brien to take a hike so they can kind of have the room to themselves mm-hmm. as she's going to beam over. And I love also that Worf makes it his responsibility to send her over. He's not yeah. going to let somebody else beam her. He's like, no, I will do it. Um, and she admits that she was tempted to take the oath, but it scared her. Worf admits how deep his feelings really are for her. And he tells you, I will not be complete without you. And I just, I started <laughs> crying. I, I literally started tearing up for Worf to not be talking about glory and warrior's death and all that other shit that he's talked about like a billion times. And he's like, I just, I will not be complete without you. I was like, oh, who, 
I felt that in my feels so, so hard. Yeah. I was so um, sad. It was such a beautiful scene. And I also have to say, it was also the scene that ruined me for life. I will not be complete until I find a love like this. So. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What you need to do is find yourself a partner who will not be complete without you or say something like that. Because then you're like, yes, this is what you need. That was the lesson. Yeah. I, I'm really bothered that I'm bothered that Kilar didn't say anything back. She just was like, yes. It <laughs> just beams up. I was like, Kilar, hello. Yeah, but I do this feel your, like that's time, true. Girl. That's true. But I do feel like the whole episode, she's been saying like, hey, 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 I'm into you. Hey, I'm into you. That's and he's true. been like, whatever. I'm not even going to look at you. And now he's like, all right, I'm into you too. So she's like, finally. <laughs> yeah. All right, bye. <laughs> all right. She's not like. Okay, let me reiterate what I've said before. She's just like, finally, you finally admit it. Like, Kaylar, like, I, one of the reasons why I love Kaylar so much is like, she's definitely, I identify with her with as like the woman who's always doing too much, especially like on the dating scene. And so in that moment, she was like, do less. Sometimes that's the right time to do that. I, I, I agree. I think that that moment was so delicious for her. Cause she's like, I'm finally getting the validation that mm-hmm. I've been wanting this whole time from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was actually really sweet when Worf does beam her off and he watches her disappear. The last scene that we see is Worf standing at the transport panel. And he's kind of smiling to himself because great. I have found the woman I'm supposed to be with and we will meet again. And it was a little bit of like that bittersweet where it's like, yes, she's leaving, but like, I know we're going to meet again. And that was like a little like bittersweet, but like very rewarding kind of moment. So that's, I thought that was, I thought that was really, really sweet. So that's where our episode ends. Do we have final thoughts before we wrap? It was beautiful. It was a beautiful ending to, I think an interesting episode. Um, I really liked it. I feel like this was solid season two. This was not like a, an episode where I'm like, oh, this was trash. This was garbage. Like, I actually enjoyed watching this. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I didn't really remember um, as far as the other. I didn't remember why she was on the ship. I just remember their love story, but I forgot the other, the whole, you know, A plot or B plot or whatever. So I, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was really good. I um, will end with what I started um, with as and say that this was the episode when I knew that I loved Worf and it was definitely, in my opinion, the beginning of Worf's story um, of storytelling around him of being a character beyond one liners and that essence of what we saw with Worf um, in, in this episode is, is the, we see this theme carry out throughout the movies of this softer side of Worf, we see this we see this mm-hmm. carry out even further in Deep Space Nine because I think that they knew that there was so much more to Worf's um, to to Worf's story than just just him being the Klingon mm-hmm. on the ship, and this was just the very beginning of it. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to put him and Jean Luc Picard in side by side as my favorites. Wow, that's bold. That is bold. Putting 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 anybody up with Jean-Luc Picard is bold. I think it's because they both have like the deepest stories mm. of the deepest stories of any other characters 
in on Star Trek and perhaps even in Star Trek history. Wow. Those are some those are some bold statements, Cassandra. And I'm and I'm here for it. I love it. I love thinking about Worf as not a caricature, but as a person, mm-hmm. an individual who's fully flushed out because in season one, he was just the guy with the phaser and the temper. And you're right. I think even the little bit in the previous episode of last week's episode where he and Pulaski had that tea ceremony. And then he said, after we drink our tea, then we read like Klingon love poetry. And it's like, wow, okay. You do have, you know, there's a Charmin side to you, you know, you have a little soft squishy (laughs) side and that is actually really, really nice. This is a furthering of Worf story. Um, My final thoughts on this is this episode has so much that happens But by the end, we're back to the status quo. So like nothing has changed at all. And that for me is a little sad. It is sad. And it's also kind of the typical, the norm, right? They go and some planet's about to be destroyed and then they save the planet and they're like, well, on to our next thing. Or they go somewhere and Picard kills his self from six hours in the future. And then they're like, well, moving on. You know, they kind of try to just kind of reset at the end of each episode as if whatever just happened didn't really happen. So it's like, it is weird, um, but also it's still fitting in line with kind of how they run their show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cassandra, thank you so much for being a guest on our episode this week. We, We are always so excited to just geek out about Star Trek TNG, about Star Trek in general, and especially with smart, opinionated fans. I think it's just adds like another layer of fun to it. So we absolutely loved having you on and we would love to have you on again another time. Um, Of course, the answer is yes, obviously. And thank you so much for having me and giving me a chance to gush over my favorite episode and talk about how much I love Worf. (laughs) And Killar's outfits. Yes. (laughs) In her, in her outfits. I have to, I'm leaving the house today. I'm going to find something that's very Kalar chic. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Well, next week we are talking season two, episode 21 entitled Peak Performance. Wait a minute. Before you go, we have a special treat for you today. Oh my God. Yes. Super friend of our show, Chris French who was on with us for the Skin of Evil episode, Mm -hmm. and we just love him to pieces, has actually taken the time to write an original tribute song to Kalar. It's like a love song. It's going to be so good. So we're going to have this song play out this episode. Take it away, French. How does a pro go warp nine? It doesn't have any engines. I think I drank too much wine. Cause I got a lot of questions I like Kalar's red outfit I really think I want to date her I really hope that we make it But she doesn't lose her temper Oh, Kalar, you're not far from me Your Klingon booty is on duty And you're hotter than all the mucky I'm just a tiny little human But I know that we're right for each other And if things get physical between us I'll probably have to go see Dr. Crusher Oh, okay, Lar, you're my star in the sky You give my heart 
heard a bunch of tickles. Can you open this jar of pickles for your guy? <laughs> Kaylar, I see your scar. It's gonna be okay. Kaylar.